Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Kirsty Major, Commissioning Editor here at The Independent, and this is Double Take, a podcast in which we take another look at some of our favourite comment pieces. Today, we're joined by former spokesperson for Jeremy Corbyn, Matt Zarb-Cousin, who will be reading and chatting about his piece, The Conservatives Are Totally Screwed, and a weak attack on Corbyn's strengths isn't going to change that. It's not even been two months since mainstream political commentators were found to be desperately out of touch with the British public, but already they're at it again, hyping up false controversies that virtually nobody cares about outside the Westminster bubble. The faux outrage generated by the Conservatives, based on their outright lie that Jeremy Corbyn promised to write off historic student debt during the general election campaign, has been carried by some media outlets like Mail Online, exacerbated by their desperation to find something to write about while Parliament is in recess. While the press have been happy to regurgitate these attack lines unchallenged, they're yet to make the point that the decision by the Conservatives to focus on student debt is not based on Theresa May or any other Conservative actually caring about the debt burden on graduates. Rather, it is a concerted effort to now attempt to undermine Jeremy Corbyn's strengths rather than his weaknesses. During the general election campaign, the Conservatives relentlessly attacked Corbyn for what they perceived were his failings, on his history, on defence and on security. But the problem with focusing on an opponent's weaknesses is that they tend to be priced in by the electorate already, particularly when, as was the case with Jeremy Corbyn, they've been attacked relentlessly on those very issues for a substantial period of time. By falsely claiming that Corbyn lied, the strength the Conservatives are attempting to undermine is his honesty. It is indicative of just how far Corbyn has come that the Conservatives see his personal character traits as a threat, building their entire tax strategy around attempting to convince young people that he is just like any other politician, in the hope that this will suppress voter turnout at the next election. But if their plan is to create disillusionment using the press, it will fail, and for a number of reasons. Firstly, young people are less likely to read the Daily Mail, which has been carrying these attacks, but those that do read it are more likely to see through what is blatant propaganda, having done their own research. Some may have simply Googled the NME interview where Corbyn didn't commit to writing off all student debt. Secondly, Conservative policy to not even abolish student fees, let alone look at ways of ameliorating historic student debt, is much worse than Labour's. If the attacks carry on all summer, all Labour would have to do when Parliament resumes is call an opposition day debate on on abolishing tuition fees, forcing a vote. The Conservatives would look absolutely ridiculous voting against the motion, having virtue signalled for weeks by claiming Corbyn is letting down young people. Instead of making young people feel disillusioned, all that will happen is the demographic the Conservatives are targeting will end up trusting them even less. YouGov found that that demographic to be just 17% of 18 to 24-year-olds, as only that proportion thought Corbyn had committed to writing off all student debt before the election, some of whom wouldn't even have voted Labour anyway. In this new era, where social media acts as a fact-checker, where the electorate are more engaged in politics and are more inclined to do their own research, particularly near election time, and the delivery of political messages can bypass mainstream media channels. It is authenticity and coherence that are the most important attributes for politicians. When people are just about managing, it is a positive, transformative vision that appeals. Baseless, negative attacks are no substitute for that. The Scottish Conservative leader Ruth Davidson recognises this, having recently argued that capitalism needs a reboot and that her party must boldly make the case for conservatism. Davidson's prescription is based on the correct analysis that the system is no longer working for most people. 
This is best illustrated by the rapid decline in owner occupancy in the last 20 years. In 1997, around 60% of 30-somethings owned a property, and in 2017, that figure has dropped to just 20%. The problem for Davidson's party is that there are limits to what the Conservatives can do to reform capitalism, given that they are funded by the very corporate invested interests that want to maintain the status quo, or the rigged system as Corbyn describes it. Being in government is not the ideal place for soul-searching, but if the Conservatives want to have any chance of challenging Labour at the next election, they need to work out what they stand for if it isn't austerity, and quickly. But given they can't even decide between them whether they think chlorinated chicken is acceptable, I don't think we'll see that anytime soon. If you would like to have your say on the episode, you can tweet Matt, at Matt Zob, and me, at Kirsty underscore Major. Up next, we are going to be talking about how Corbyn will be taking on the mammoth task of Brexit. Thank you for reading your piece, Matt. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. No worries. So the Tories have totally changed tack and they're going for Corbyn's strengths now, not his weaknesses. Yeah. What do you reckon's next? That's a very good question. I mean, I was very surprised they didn't go for uh, his strengths, obviously, during the election campaign. It was very much a Linton Crosby tactic to just keep hammering the weaknesses, even though a lot of those things... Uh, weren't news to people, or they've been priced in, or they, you know, they, they you know, they, they didn't really care about them. Um, I think a lot of people are struggling at the moment, and they want someone to come in and uh, offer something different, and offer an alternative and a plan to improve people's lives. And you know, the Tories, with this relentlessly negative message, aren't really resonating with people at the moment. I think it's. Um, they need to come up with if, they, if they're going to stand any chance of, of you know challenging Labour next time around. They need to come up with a coherent and uh, extensive program that you know is is going to convince people that they're they're equipped to to sort everything out. Uh, and you know, I think you had Nicholas Soames today talking about um, how they should have a separate cabinet for Brexit and a separate cabinet for domestic issues. And that's because all of these cabinet meetings now are just getting bogged down with Brexit and. All of these, there's so many domestic problems that need to be solved. Um, housing crisis, NHS crisis, you know, there's um, inequalities widening. So there's a risk, a real risk for them that they get so bogged down in Brexit, it becomes you know, just the centrepiece of everything that the support for Corbyn will, will increase exponentially because these problems are just going to get worse. And there's a real chance for Corbyn to, as I see it, create a transformative vision that can link those two things together. So if you link the domestic policies or the domestic problems with a Brexit, which is maybe more more of a Lexit, um, to bring that term back, so I don't think it's been used enough, um, where you have a, pro- a process whereby leaving the EU allows you to nationalise, allows you to introduce state aid or do procurement differently. So I think, I don't know if that's, do you think that's the way Corbyn's going to go about it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you have to, um, we're leaving the European Union. That's the starting place, starting point. And especially now, most people accept the result of the referendum or voted leave. So the choice is a right-wing Tory Brexit or it's Labour Brexit or Lexit or whatever you want to call it. Bring it back, Matt. Make Bring it, it back. happen. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right. You know, there's people talk about, oh, um, lots of the things in the manifesto would be undeliverable if we came out of the single market. But a lot of the things in the manifesto would be undeliverable if we stayed in the single market, like renationalisation, you know, the single market has a lot of aspects to it which aren't necessarily left-wing, like forced privatisation, rules on state aid. So what we want is obviously a, 
a close partnership with Europe and a trading relationship. We don't necessarily want to be in the single market. So, uh, yeah, so I think um, those two things can can be in, interlinked. And, and I think the domestic program that he's come up with has obviously been very popular. And that was what they that was what they sort of achieved after just two years. So policy development will, will keep keep going on. And, and obviously will be, there'll be new challenges to solve next time. I keep thinking about this guy. Did you see it yesterday? He got a Mogmentum tattoo on his chest. Oh, and I was like, wait until you see the 2022 manifesto. You're going to want to get some tattoo removal <laughs> on that. Trust me. <laughs> but I wonder oh, about man. this because I think material conditions really work with young people because that's what spoke to the manifesto. Yeah. But then there was YouGov data out today saying that 61% of Leave voters are okay with Brexit bringing in economic harm to the UK. So it seems like material conditions maybe don't matter to some other Leave voters. And two out of three Labour MPs represent a Leave constituency. So there is, there's maybe a tension there. I think there's, um, I think you have, we have to keep in mind like what uh, the reasons were that people voted for Brexit and the primary driver of it was a response to the status quo, the economic status quo, not working for a lot of people. And they saw Brexit as the way of changing it. And the Leave campaign itself was um, centred on, you know, let's give more money to the NHS. It was very much a kind of left-wing argument that was made. Uh, and that's why it was successful. Because they picked up a lot of Labour voters and they needed to do that to win. I think that if you look at the general election in places like... Peterborough, where the UKIP candidate stood down, you know, Labour won the seat from the Conservatives. It obviously attract Jeremy Corbyn attracted a lot of UKIP voters back. And um, I mean, it's very very difficult to say why people are prepared to sacrifice, you know, the, their their jobs or their families' jobs for Brexit. Obviously, sovereignty played a big part, like the ability to make our own laws. I think that's often understated, um, but I think that. I think more more work needs to be done, perhaps, on on looking into why these people place that above the economic arguments. Um, but a lot of people just want the result to be res respected and and Brexit to happen. Now we've we've voted for it democratically as a country. I voted Remain, just FYI. Uh, <laughs> but you know the country's voted for it, and uh, if it's not respected, I think that's quite bad. You know, we, we you can't call a referendum as David Cameron did ask the country what they, you know, are we in or out? And they've delivered a result. And then to say, oh, it's not the result we wanted, sorry. You know, there, there are, I think the implications of that are much worse. So I think that might be why people are, have answered in that way. But it might be because, you know, lots of their family members, leave voters, might be in insecure jobs, might not be in very good jobs. And they're hoping that that might change if we come out of the European Union. So it's very difficult to, to say why that is, obviously. But I totally agree. I really can't bear Ramona's right now. It's like it's happened. <laughs> Take a deep breath and let's get imaginative and think about how we can make this work for people and make it work for people who voted for leave. Maybe you think that they got duped. Maybe you don't agree with them, but at least, yeah, like you said, go back to why they did and figure out a way to make this work for everyone. And I think that's what a lot of people are getting bogged down with. They just want to return to the status quo when actually maybe we need to think on our feet a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And that's where a case for keeping the benefits of the single market or the customs union, but having a different deal with the EU. But there are a lot of Ramonas in the Labour Party. I'm not going to name any names. Chuck Ramona. But there are. <laughs> Look, I mean, 
if um, if we don't end up coming out of the European Union, if it's too difficult after two years to come to a deal where we protect jobs and living standards and, you know, the the scale of the task is too difficult and too complicated and we're not equipped to do it and we can't get a transitional deal and, you know, there's lots of moving parts with this, right? Then after that period of negotiation or attempted negotiation, the mood of the British people may have changed. And because we, you know, it's been shown that it's not possible to deliver what we want to deliver. So by showing the public that it's too difficult and, you know, maybe we need to have a rethink rather than telling them they're wrong, that's a much better way to go. Um, it respects the result. You know, we're now trying to negotiate a departure. Um, but with all these things, you know, the mood of the public can change, but it has to be because they've, 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 they can see that, it, that it's, a, you know, they can see for themselves that it's difficult rather than because someone has told them. Um, and I think that's where if you, you know, if you upset with the result of the referendum, then the way to get people on your side is not to tell them they're wrong. It feels like though there's almost a fear of democracy sometimes from the Labour Party and there's this sort of clutching on to power and I think that comes into play with proposed changes at the NEC level where some people want to make it easier to select your own MP or to make local parties more democratic and there's people in the party who definitely don't want that to happen and I feel like often they're the same people who are really afraid of the fact that some working class people got to decide the fate of the country. Do you agree that there's maybe that sentiment there? Perhaps there is, yeah. In some echelons of the Labour Party establishment, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, there is obviously, a, you know, you can see the way that they treat momentum and momentum activists and, you know, the new membership and the registered supporters. You know, if you, It's like they've never met them. They're just like, uh, they try to sort of, portray them as being these like sort of strange people that we shouldn't trust and like, like a rabble or whatever but you know th these people are the ones who are actually you know working very hard to deliver a Labour government they certainly did in the general election campaign Momentum were pioneering in their campaigning they're fantastic and they should be embraced and we should want to be a mass membership party and as I say like it's the principle more than anything of respecting the result of the referendum you can't, as I say, you can't ask the public what they think uh, and and then ignore it. Um, yeah, so if anyone's going to be angry with anyone, then it should be with David Cameron. I mean, angry, I don't know. He might have caused the demise of his own party, so I, I might, <laughs> yeah. I might maybe more of a fan than I ever was, to yeah. be honest, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so my last question is about the Labour Party and the sort of the factional warfare. Do you feel like Brexit is going to be used as a bit of a club with which to beat Corbyn? Or do you think it is actually just an issue of conscience and there's a lot of MPs who can't bear the thought of leaving the single market and customs union for that in, in and of itself? I think the notion that Brexit and the single market is going to be a wedge issue between Jeremy Corbyn and young Labour voters is uh, pie in the sky because there are so many issues that face young people at the moment. The housing crisis, you know, 
tuition fees, cost of living, rent, you know, everything is going against them and it has done for a long time. So the idea that, you know, because we're not going to stay in the single market, the, the institutional arrangements that arise from Brexit is going to deter young people from voting for the, the only politician that is standing up for them is ridiculous. So I, don't, I just don't think it's going to work if, that, if that's what their, their tactic is. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Helen Hodnock, who produced this episode. Holly Baxter is the acting editor of Independent Voices. I'm Kirsty Major. See you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.